and welcome to Burn After Pitching, the Grand Geek Gathering's pitch fest where various people from a wide panoply of creative outlets come to pitch their ideas for various topics that we pick, and then we record it and disperse it all to you. I am your host for this month, Andy Nordvall, although uh, Michael Tanner is with us in spirit and internet, uh, possibly a Tyler, McPhail, a Tyler McPhail cameo a little later on, but uh, for now, let's meet our guests. First up, I, I want to go to our, our returning, can I say returning champion? We're all champions here. So our returning champion pitcher, Jeffrey Golden. How are you doing, Jeffrey? Oh, I am doing just great. How about yourself, Andy? Oh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, too. Uh, I just got back from Gallifrey 1, so it was good to get my, my geek on. Although, it's still weird going to conventions, because I'm like dimly remembering how to socially interact with people. But It's you know, hard. It's very It is. It's... it's, it's it's difficult because on the one hand, you know, you, we love conventions. We used to go, uh, you know, 14, 15 conventions a year, you know. Uh, yeah. and on the other hand, you don't want to be breathed on anymore. It's very tricky. It's this hard balance of like, I want to be social, but I don't want anybody to breathe on me, near me, around me. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to balance. It's got to be a way to balance the two. Gallifrey yeah, one actually had a very good idea. You get to pick your lanyard color based on how comfortable you are being close to people, which uh, kudos to those guys. And uh, I think I hear a second person on Jeffrey's mic. W- w- would that be uh, editor extraordinaire Amanda Meadows? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, hi. Hi, Andy. Uh, this is uh, this is me, Amanda Meadows. Uh, uh, apparently, my reputation precedes me, so thank you. Uh, I-, I am doing all right. It is a pretty nice Sunday, and we're just, uh, we're, we're chilling, talking about Long Duck Dong and other, uh, other uh, John Hughes delights. <laughs> also, the good things in John Hughes, we hope a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's... A- There's some interesting stuff there. Actually, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. But also, in her premiere on our podcast is the wonderful Stephanie Cook. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I I am a comic book writer and an editor. Um, I wear a number of different hats, I would say, uh, but... Primarily, I work on uh, for writing, um, middle grade graphic novels and comics. I am also writing a video game right now. Uh, so Yay! it's fun. It is called Pico by Kid and Cup Studios. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a very, very abbreviated me. What are, you said Pico? Yes, Pico. It is a tea-making simulator that takes place in a town that's populated by cats. Ooh, that sounds lovely. I was wondering if there was a connection to Pico Boulevard, one of the historical streets, but uh, teas and cats sounds amazing as well. Equally amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wholesome was, uh, cats. Was there a trailer? Mm-hmm. Did a trailer come out for, for Pico? Yeah, uh, yeah. We, I think, had a couple trailers we've released, and we did one, I think we debuted one through, like, Wholesome Games as well. Yeah, I, uh, I saw that. Ago. I saw it. I, mm-hmm. liked the, I liked the trailer a lot. It was great. That's yeah. yeah. It sounds exactly like the games I like, so I'm, I'm very <laughs> excited. Yeah, and trailer out now, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, I think that's just on, we don't have, like, a game-specific Twitter. It's just a part of Kitten Cup, but uh, it's the only game they're currently making. So if you go to Kitten Cup Studio, you can see it. And uh, it's objectively very cool if you like both cats and tea, and maybe if you don't even like those things. So, (laughs) yeah, 
Who doesn't like cats and tea? I don't know, but I don't want to be friends with them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe you could get away with liking only one, but both? That seems, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Madness. let's not dwell on that. <laughs> Let us start with our wonderful warm-up pitch. No one knows what this pitch will be, not even I, your host. Uh, except, of course, our producer, Tyler McPhail. Tyler, would you mind coming on and telling us what we will be pitching? Hey, everybody. This is producer Tyler. I just got off the phone from MGM Miramax uh, Netflix. And um, I don't know if you guys know this. Merged? What? <laughs> MGM Miramax and Netflix merged just yeah. in the – okay. ABC and ABC are both in there somewhere. I just don't know where it is. Um, <laughs> there's a roadmap that, that helps me. But uh, I just got off the phone with them. Uh, it's all one person, uh, Mr. Hollywood. And I don't know if you guys know this, but before John Hughes uh, passed away, he was a gigantic Disney princess fan. And with all these live action remakes, uh, he never got to see his his vision of uh, of making this Disney princess into a movie. But we can't remember who it was. What was John Hughes's favorite Disney princess and what would he do with his movie? Mm. Okay. Uh, I tell you what, maybe we should, we will pause the recording, figure out, you know, figure out John Hughes's Disney death wish, and then we will come back. Uh, yeah, because I, I need a few minutes on this one. She thinks you're shit. And deep down, you know she's right. extrapolating on what I know about John Hughes. Uh, I mean, I love a lot of his movies, but if there's one thing that always rankled me in Pretty in Pink, it's that the ending's wrong. And so I think based on that, it would be a Beauty and the Beast, where, of course, uh, Belle winds up with Gaston, who is, of course, rich and handsome, and gets rid of the dorky and lovable Beast, who is, you know, just like Ducky. So my pitch is... John Hughes approved Pretty in Pink, where, of course, you end up with the handsomest man, which is Gaston. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I can tell you love it. Yeah. Listen, he, listen, Ducky gets, we all can agree that Ducky yeah. deserved better. We all yeah. love Ducky. Everybody has loved Ducky. Everybody will love Ducky forever. Yeah. Um, there's nothing. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, my thought would be, uh, where do we get that fur? Where does that furniture come in? Are the furniture yeah. the is is are the furniture the parents? There's got to be parents in a John Hughes movie, right? There's yeah. got to be somebody. Yeah, who are Gaston's parents? Wait a minute. I are think you? the furniture. Is, is they still hang out in a record store. It's or the or records who talk. You know, the Velvet Underground one sounds like Lou Reed. The Iggy Pop one sounds like Iggy Pop. So you know, we can get in the various. 80s music thing right there. Oh, I see. Okay, so the uh, talking you're gonna edge it up. I see. Yeah. yeah. Grime it down, edge it up. <laughs> and my, this is a modern day Beauty and the Beast a la the 1980s modern Beauty and the Beast yeah. that existed. Modern right? in that, that 1980s, live, yeah. Yes. That live action show with the hilarious looking beast makeup. And... Oh, that guy. <laughs> that poor guy. 
You know what? Uh, You can. I saw they uh, cast a jacket for that on eBay recently. Oh Um, shit! It it looked nice. It had a nice big logo on the back. I was very impressed. They shelled. They they shelled out for a very nice jacket for the live action Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I'm proud of them. Well, you know, after the after the Little Mermaid, they were like, you know what? Yeah, y'all earned it. You get you get leather sleeves on these jackets. It's always a bit of a rarity when Disney says, yeah, you earned it. But I, I'm glad they're not skimping on crew jackets. Yeah. <laughs> well, when Disney says you've earned it, it means, okay, we'll we'll pay you that outstanding thing that we should have given you from the beginning. Contractual uh, obligations. Yeah. I can see John Hughes maybe taking uh, the, the Snow White situation and making it sort of like... Uh, like eight men and a teenager <laughs> and a bratty teenager. Well, yeah, like breakfast, like a breakfast like club kind yeah, of thing. They all club. every every uh, little person has a different personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be good or like kind or humane, <laughs> you know, in terms of its comedy. But it, he would he would do a great job, <laughs> do a great job with that if he kept them little people. But I can also see it just being like a bunch of character actors. <laughs> uh great yeah um all right i i i was uh i will do cinderella i think john hughes uh is a big cinderella mark yeah um you know and cinderella is like she's like a teenager she's misunderstood by her pair you know by her family right um and uh yeah she's got this uh cool opportunity to glam up um, you know, somebody like saw, uh, hey, the potential for her to be like popular with like the with like royalty. Um, I don't know if I have a take so much that it's basically just Cinderella, but yeah. through the lens of '80s John Hughes, because I feel like a lot of the beats already kind of kind of work. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, you wouldn't need to change much. Those bones, Molly Ringwald those is Cinderella. Bones are sturdy. <laughs> Molly Ringwald is Cinderella. Uh, you've got like an Angelica Houston type as the stepmother, uh, right? Exactly. Know. Yeah, maybe I... Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway. That would, be, 80s... that would be rightfully scary. Eighties Faye Dunaway, and then uh, yeah, what teen heart? One of the Corys is it's, oh. is the is the is the prince, and it all it's great. Nineteen eighty eight or something. Maybe it's like Baby Johnny Depp or something. Oh, oh yeah, that's maybe more, maybe more accurate. Baby Johnny Depp. Yeah. All right, so there we. That's uh, I say. Yeah, I I just say John Hughes. You've got Cinderella. You just go for it. Just, <laughs> just take it home. Keep going. Any I'm chance anyone can hear me? Male- mm. Mm? Yeah. We can hear you. I can hear you. Hello. Oh, okay. Yes. Great. Hello. Hey guys. Uh, I'll I'll just kind of jump in on here, but Andy, keep hosting. Um, Okay, I'm hosting, but surprise appearance by Michael Tanner. Hey, I'm here. Hey. Yay. All right. Uh, so, Stephanie, do you have a, a John Hughes Disney princess? I, I think I think so. Uh, I've thought long and hard about this in the, like, few minutes it's been since this question was posed. And um, I think I would go Aladdin meets Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, mm. we have that whole exploration of, like, Jasmine, she wants to get out of the castle. And, like, that's how she kind of has that meet-cute with Aladdin, right? But rather than it kind of wind up being this, like, princely endeavor where he's tricking her into thinking he's someone else, he's a prince, they just have this whole wild adventure 
outside the city, just the two of them. And he's like showing her the ropes and it's, you know, uh, yeah, just kooky adventures. The the guards are chasing them. Um, they eventually have to figure out how to get her back to the castle without her father finding out. And um, yeah, I think there could be like some really fun hijinks in there. Roger Question. gets loose in the market. Like, oh, no. the, like the car that gets, you know, yeah, yes. Raj's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So question, is Jafar like uh, assistant principal Mooney? <laughs> oh, yeah, I kind of like that. That would be good. He just like, is like, oh, when she gets back wherever she is, I'm going to propose. But like now she's out in the streets, like falling in love with this dude. And uh, it's, he's got to put a stop to it. This can't, this can't happen. That definitely feels like the John Hughes movies that aren't like teen comedies. Like, spoiler alert for my pitch later, Baby's Day Out definitely is kind of a com exploration comedy. Um, so yeah, I could see I could see John Hughes having um, Jasmine explore the city with Aladdin, getting all sorts of romps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a different way to get into his uh, his his brand of classism comedy. You know, it's a whole new world, if you will. Don't you dare close your eyes! Wow, seeing how the pores live. <laughs> Listen, John Hughes <laughs> understand a few things about life. Uh, John Clues, John Hughes does not care if you close your eyes during the movie. <laughs> he just needs those. You just needs to buy those tickets. That's, that's all. That's all. <laughs> Bafo. Because <laughs> everything is law of averages. One of these remakes will be made by Disney in the next five years, I think. Okay. I, you know, uh, a slight tangent, but I was uh, today, I was on Wikipedia, and I didn't realize that um, Touchstone Pictures produced Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which implies that Deuce Bigelow is owned by Disney and could show up in the MCU. So that's really important for all of us to remember as we head into the next <laughs> into the multiverse of madness. Give the people what they want. Yeah, people are clamoring Freddy, for Deadpool, but do you people know, want Deuce Bigelow. Deuce Bigelow, bring him back. Bring that, bring him back. But can they recast the, him? Uh, it's... I don't want to see Rob Schneider. I, I just don't. I just don't. I feel like it'll be his son. You could do. I feel like you can do a thing where, like, there's a Deuce Bigelow next generational. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be like It would Bigelow? be like Pete Davison. Like, I feel like right. they would make it be. Yeah, it would like be him. the worst possible thing. Yeah, Pete Davison. Yeah. But that. But Rob Schneider is like you. You. He's the the Obi Wan. He's the new. <laughs> you know. He, he's he will guide. Pete Davidson to learn the ways of a male gigolo. <laughs> but that's right. good because that opens us up to a whole universe of possibilities. Yeah, the gigoloverse. Is Tim Meadows we, the lady man like... part of that? <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know. Do you show up in the post credit scene? The man and the love guru, I, at, at a certain point, I mean, they at least belong in the same pantheon, mythologically. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, in spiritually, I don't know if in yes. terms of, like, business uh, right. and who owns what rights, what's possible, but... I think a lot of those SNL movies are owned by Paramount, but I could yeah. be I could be wrong, but right, I, have, yeah. like, I have, like, a feeling 
that seeing Wayne, like seeing Wayne's World, they mm. had like, opened with like a Paramount logo. Mm. I could be wrong about that though. Um, but if that's true, then why wasn't the ladies' man at the top of the Paramount Mountain in the uh, Paramount Plus uh, famous Paramount Plus ad that featured all of the Paramount characters? I mean, that was a that was a really important ad for their brand. <laughs> it was really establishing that all of my favorite characters were actually part of the same family. A hundred percent: Stephen Colbert, Picard, Dora the Explorer. <laughs> All, all linked together. It's all about family. Like corporate. So wild to see them all in the same frame. It was the it was the Space Jam two server verse problem, but in real life, and it was kind of terrifying. Yeah. Anyway, that was a, that was a long. I apologize for that long tangent, but I thought you guys would appreciate knowing that uh, Deuce Bigelow was produced by uh, Disney. I believe is owned by Disney. Well, I'm glad to know it. I'm, I'm I'm glad that information's in my head. <laughs> it pushed something more important out to make room because it's a finite amount of space in my brain. But uh, I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's there. <laughs> That's fair. You probably didn't need whatever that was. Did you really need to know how to brake when driving a car? <laughs> probably not. It might have been my life. You didn't need the last know. digits of that safe code. Right. Um, but yeah, anywho. I don't know what to say about Deuce Bigelow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. On that note, I, and I do not. While have, we are, I do not have a uh, John Hughes Disney princess because I didn't have a princess for some reason. My brain went to like a John Hughes version of Swiss Family Robinson, um, and I don't know what that is. <laughs> I just don't. But for some reason, my brain went there, uh, and it's stuck there. So um, that's what we get. We can totally move on. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love the Swiss Family Tree of my mind. <laughs> Well, I love the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse in Disneyland, Rest which in will peace. probably go away at it some point unless we revive it. It went away like 20 years ago. It's gone? Yeah, it's the Tarzan Treehouse. No! Yeah. Okay, did they... Oh, the Swiss well... Family is. Yes. And why they live in trees. <laughs> They're perpetuating the myth that, that the Swiss are exclusively arboreal people, which... <laughs> well, as long as it's still got the rope bridges, I guess I'll be happy. Anyways, moving on. Since we are in a John Hughes brain space, let us uh, segue into our ideas for a John Hughes reboot movie. Um, I'm trying to think, whom should go first? Whom, whom, whom? Um, well, Michael, you you have I one, right? Have would you one. like to Would you like to start us off? Yes, I'll start us off. Okay. Um, so I did a kind of out of the. Um, I didn't want to take one of like the normal like the normal John Hughes John Hughes movies because I figured our guests would probably want to tackle those ones because there's a lot more fun. Um, so I chose a lesser known. It's not necessarily a lesser known movie. It's a lesser known movie that people don't necessarily know. It's a John Hughes script. If I may be so bold, I think it's a lesser loved movie also too. Lesser loved. <laughs> uh, it famously split Siskel and Ebert. I am doing Baby's Day Out, which was written and produced by Sir John Hughes. Um, so here is my here is my remake reboot of Baby's Day Out. Um, I've modernized it quite a bit. You'll see. Ke- baby Keith Binks is an Instagram baby influencer. Instagram handle Baby Bink. 
Uh, he's the infant son of Lorraine and Bennington Binks, who are also two social media influencers. She upcycles furniture and he converts old school buses into tiny homes. Both have over half a million followers. Uh, but Baby Binks, he's got the most. And he's, a, he's one years old and he is a big deal on the Instagram and the TikToks and all that stuff. Uh, a regular gimmick of uh, his Instagram is the the baby cam where Keith is outfitted with a little body camera and records reels and TikToks from his baby point of view. Uh, baby Binks is so popular that the Baby Yum Yums company, the purveyor of not really healthy, healthy snacks for babies, want to use Baby Binks to, to promote their product. After an initial agreement is made, uh, put together by a greedy corporate shill who secretly hates children, Mr. Edgar Mauser, uh, Baby Binks tries the Baby Yum Yum snack in a live video and throws up. Baby Yum Yum stock plummets and all the snack and the snack gets memed to oblivion. Uh, Edgar Mauser loses his job and he blames little Baby Binks. This reinforces his hatred of kids. Teaming up with his devoted former assistant, Norma LeBlanc, and his idiot but tech-savvy brother, Victor, they decide to get revenge by kidnapping Baby Binks. They create a fake Instagram account for a fake baby and buy thousands of followers to make the account look like it's becoming popular. Then they reach out to the Binks family and ask if they could do a collaboration, uh, maybe a play date uh, with the two babies at a carnival. The three bad guys disguise themselves and bring a fake baby and meet up with the Binks. Uh, their intent is just to kidnap the baby for ransom, but an actual earthquake hits and devastates the whole area. The Binks' parents get separated from the baby, and the baby ends up with uh, the three bad guys, of course. Uh, the dad gets a um, hit on the head, so he gets uh, like a concussion, and the mom suffers a leg injury in the earthquake. So both of them are needing medical attention, so that kind of throws them off the hunt for their baby, and they just think the baby is safe with this other nice family. Um, and everyone's stuck in the earthquake, the earthquake zone, and the bad guys now need to protect Baby Binks in a treacherous, destroyed carnival as Baby Binks escapes them and crawls on rickety roller coaster, a dunk tank, a funhouse, and other cheap carnival gimmicks. Uh, Baby Keith was wearing his body cam and accidentally turns it on and off throughout the course of the movie, and his video feed goes live. And so uh, people around the world get to keep up on the hilarious, dangerous antics of the baby. Uh, some for sure scenes we will have uh, the water gun and the clown mouth balloon inflating game. Baby, uh, baby Binks will uh, shoot one of the bad guys in the mouth of the water, but then also somehow end up having uh, grabbed onto a balloon and float into the sky. Um, somehow two of the bad guys will think Baby Bink fell into a deep fryer and then they'll see the third bad guy, probably the idiot brother, eating a turkey leg and they will think that he's eating Baby Bink until they see the baby crawling on something dangerous nearby. Uh, that kind of hijinks. In the end, Edgar rescues uh, Baby Bink from a particularly dangerous scenario and is caught on camera and Edgar is seen as a hero and maybe he's maybe even gotten over his hate for children a little bit and the family is reunited and their social media clout has gone way up and that's the the hashtag baby's day out. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Love it. I I one thing I really like about it is I mean it's a, it's been a while since I've seen it. The, the baby is like a rich in the original one. The baby's like a rich baby. Right? Yeah, he's a he's a like rich baby. socialite baby apparently. Yeah, and so I like that in this one, it's like a famous baby. 
you know, though it's like, yeah, this is like not just like a baby that happens to have inherited, will inherit a lot of wealth. This is a baby that has built a brand. Yeah. Uh, and so we as an audience, yeah, a self-made brand. Yeah. So we as an audience, I feel like we can relate more to this baby because that's what we're all trying to do is just make our own brand, you know, really produce, produce incredible content. And this is a baby that's really doing that. So I think when the baby's in trouble, we're going to feel more for that baby, you know? Mm-hmm. It's really hard baby to come awesome. in sympathy for a baby. For a rich baby. For a rich baby, yeah. especially. Right. You really need to build that. So I feel like this is better because this, this pitch <laughs> is better because this is a baby that's self-made. I'm going to yeah, care about this baby. baby. We're normal Bootstrap. babies. I don't care about them. I don't care about them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because this baby works <laughs> for a living? Oh, this baby earns it. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Excellent. So, hashtag babies day out. Um, whom shall I do next? Stephanie, Stephanie, I cannot wait. You're in, you're in the center of my screen, and I okay, uh, yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear I, your. I, uh, I should have like listened to this podcast before I like sat down to do these pitches, but uh, I do have one here. I kind of was like I made a more serious one, and then I made a very silly one. Um, so I will tell you that one. Uh, let's see. I'm doing pretty in pink. Um. I don't yeah. know, you know, like, I know I've seen this entire movie before, but I don't think I've ever seen it all in one sitting. I I don't know how that's possible, but, like, as I was re-watching this, I was like, have I ever just consecutively watched this entire thing from start to finish? And mm-hmm. I don't think that is entirely true until... Oh, I know on cable. So, I I definitely saw it on cable. I maybe saw it once when my older sister rented it, but most of the times I've seen it was on TV. So it'd be in clumps, like in the middle, or you know, half an hour yeah. here and there. But yeah, rarely, if ever, sat down and watched the whole thing in one go. Yeah, same. And like, obviously, I knew what this movie was, but again, kind of sitting down and uh, watching it in one go was uh, a lot of fun. And I really latched on to the character of Iona. Um, I used to work in a record store growing up. And so like, that was just such a fun setting for the movie for me. So um, anyways, this movie, my version of this is a little bit more focused on Iona and the fact that she owns this record store and she's really unlucky in love. Um, after a series of failed relationships, uh, she decides to give up on love for herself and sets out to play matchmaker for her young record store employee. She realizes that Andy isn't super cool, but she has a ton of potential and wants to make it possible for that to shine through for her. Knowing that Andy wants to be a designer, uh, she sees that she doesn't have a lot of inspiration in her life to make things new and exciting. Uh, So, she basically introduces her to like the punk scene and you know new music and all of this like eye-opening stuff for Andy and uh, also decides that while she's making uh, playing matchmaker, she decides it's time to also give Andy a makeover, a real like sandy and grease situation here, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> basically. Uh, also then makes Andy make her own clothing for this situation too. Uh, so 
this whole transformation happens with all these new influences. And this is also helping Andy, you know, create a great portfolio for her dream of being a designer. Uh, so this is all really, you know, mutually beneficial. But the goal here is to transform her into the cool girl that Iona knows is within her. Meanwhile, uh, Iona wants to set Andy up with a cute regular that has great taste in music and seems amazing on paper and uh, keeps trying to push them together. But there's not really something clicking there. And uh, she keeps missing that every day that Andy's at the store, her best friend comes in and they have this great chemistry and they haven't realized that they're in love with each other. Uh, so after forcing this relationship with Mr. Perfect on Andy, she sees that her best friend is, in fact, the one that they're meant to be with. And uh, they wind up making that happen. And then while that's going on, and she's been so focused on Andy, she's failed to notice that there's a regular in the store that's taken notice of her. And as she kind of realizes she has to stop meddling and let this young romance blossom on its own, she realizes that her dream guy is in front of her. And... um I didn't get that far as to what he was, but it was going to be something funny and weird. And we can we can brainstorm that. We part. can workshop I'm, it. I'm I'm flexible on that detail. <laughs> exactly. That's great. You want to leave like, just a little room for the producers to get their hands in. It's like exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Put their stamp on the it. Slice that they get to play with. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like the bones of Pretty in Pink from Iona's perspective, and then kind of meets Emma. I was thinking clueless, but yeah, same well, diff. Emma, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we love remaking yeah. Emma. It's absolutely if it ain't broke. Yeah, keep fixing <laughs> yeah. it. Make more of them. Right. Just make I just more like was like make more. <laughs> I hyper focused on that conversation that Iona had, like in the shop where she's talking to like her ex, and like they're just going through this roller coaster of events that have happened and she's like saying them all on the phone you know like the final straw is like you tied me up in the back seat of the car and all this stuff and i was like what is going on with iona like i want to know that story and uh you know she's a cool character to explore also how is she like supposedly 15 years older than them she is clearly like the same age <laughs> is she oh my gosh well she's like ducky kisses her at one point and she's like Oh, I, I'm old enough to be his mother. And I'm like, were you two? <laughs> like, what? That's what? Annie Potts, right? Whoa. I was about to say, yeah. Annie Potts, I think. Yeah, I, I remember looking it up this week, and I've it's gone in my brain. And um, It got pushed out by that Deuce Bigelow business. All of this new information has pushed it out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is back when all moms were were cast like twenty five year old women. Now it's a little better. Now it's like a thirty seven year old woman will play, play mom. mom. Right. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like, yeah, just everyone looks way too young when you watch those older movies. Like, how is right? that mother? And I, I did look it up though, because like I was, I was wondering if Pretty in Pink was that situation where like you know, uh. Like Olivia Newton John is like very old playing this like high schooler. And at least Molly Ringwald is like a teenager when this is being made. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I'm looking up Annie Potts now. And I guess like 1952 she was born. And this came out in 1986. So I guess 
she would have been like in her 20s in her late 20s i think yeah Yeah, my dad was born in 57 and he was like in his 20s in the 80s well she looks older in ghostbusters too so it could be she she just has a what you know she's versatile she's like around 30 Maybe it was that punk look that kind of, you know, de-aged her yeah. hair. But, I mean, yeah. regardless, she wasn't old at all. Not but, like, at all. Like 15 <laughs> years older, and I was like, what is happening? There's no way. But, yeah. Anyways, that was a tangent and a half. That's my pitch. <laughs> oh, God. I know. I like how you guys are all like, yeah, that's yeah, great. Like Emma... Um, I mean, it was like, oh, it's like the Disney. It's like fairy godmother as the main character of the... Oh yeah, you know that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'd watch. I'd watch yeah. a movie about the fairy godmother. Oh god, Disney's going to make an origin Absolutely. movie. Absolutely, it's, it's time. Yeah. It's time. I yeah, know. I don't know if this is like very John Hughesy. Like I don't know if I stuck with the assignment per se. But again, I've really hyper focused on Iona and yeah, yeah. I can see it more in the realm of uh... and everything going on around her. She's having a baby, right? Like where when Hughes did the he, he could do romance of people in their twenties also, as long as they were white in in, New, in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's range, it's wide range. Yeah. Also, you could also like if this is like modernizing it. I mean, obviously, you could age her down significantly and like also have her be a youth. Two youths. Uh, uh, Another fellow teenager, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I mean, she, I, that's well. John Hughes had those great side characters that you could build <laughs> off of, and this this was kind of the assignment. I mean, easiest thing in the world is just you know John Hughes movie, but modern music. But you know, put some thought and do some creative. Find the angle, which which I think you have done admirably. Thank you, thank you. And now moving on, I, well, I haven't heard from actually Amanda. Amanda, I would love to hear Hi. your pitch. For a John Hughes reboot. So, yeah, like, I, I mean, we're, we're all very familiar with this stuff. And, like, I was very much uh, a kid. Like, I was, like, single digits during his heyday. So I wasn't really watching these movies when I was younger. But by high school... I was certainly watching a lot of these films with all with my with my white friends at my white high school, <laughs> and uh, that with Grease and all the all the all the all the, all the classics. But um, I never saw Curly Sue, um, and when uh, Mike brought this up, I was like going through the catalog and going, I've literally never seen Curly Sue, and uh, it came out in '91. Apparently, it was the first. I'm sorry, the last film that he directed as well as wrote, like, that was it. And I guess he didn't direct Lost in New York, did he? No. Not. Yeah. Um, oh, it was Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus. Yeah, yeah. He's, Chris Columbus directed the original Home Alone, too, That's I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, like, I was very much a Home Alone kid. That was yeah. like, that. me and my brother were all about those, about those tricks, all about those pranks. <laughs> uh, had I known that Curly Sue was also kind of about, you know, like tricks and, and traps and, and uh, hustling. I probably would have been more interested in seeing it as a kid, but um, watching it as an adult, it is very fascinating to see uh, such a like straight on kind of earnest um, and sweet 
in like sympathetic kind of uh, directing, especially after the movies that he'd come off of in the eighties. So like, it almost it almost feels like watching a Frank Capra film. It's um it's a little bit smoother. It's a little bit sweeter, um, and there aren't as many of those like crazy set pieces. Um, but what it does have is Curly Sue, and I fucking fell in love with her. She is great. Um, I I think uh, I think also it's kind of hilarious how how anti. You know, it's anti-poor, anti-unhoused, obviously. But um, I love this, like, this this trope of the, the homeless uh, folks with the heart of gold. It's like, well, they don't steal. Right. <laughs> so, um, and uh, just all of, all of the moralizing around them at the beginning of the movie is amazing. And honestly, looking back and looking, like, with, watching this movie with 2022 eyes, all of this shit would basically be the same. I, I was kind of amazed by how honest uh, and ugly the rich people are in this movie, especially uh, yeah. the would-be love interest uh, that we start out with. So I thought maybe instead of continuing to play on the heartstrings, that maybe we go uh toward the, the 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 far edge you know we're in a time where all the same beliefs about the homeless still exist but they're like with gasoline poured on them so you know we're we're living in los angeles where they're currently cops in venice beach you know sweeping up and 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 displacing unhoused people so i think it would be extra funny to go hardcore revenge fantasy uh and take this up a notch to uh curly sue a gritty and gory retelling in tarantino style so we find ourselves in like la 2030 curly sue is a bombastic adult woman um i am thinking natasha leone as uh as adult curly sue and uh you know she's a like a nomadic hustler and fixer you know she cleans up problems um and starts some and you know she she runs into a weird assignment to protect a kid who is being ransomed um i'm not i'm not i'm not committed to gender i think it could be any kid here um and uh you know it, it it starts out like okay this is just another job but it kind of becomes annoying babysitting uh, and they're kind of at odds but then after a while Natasha Leon is realizing that this kid is helping her reconnect to her street urchin past and remind her what you know how vulnerable and and uh and innocent she really was at that age and that kind of endears her to the to the kid and uh so instead of continuing out her job she she and the kid decide to double cross their hirers, their clients, the crime clients. I never know the, the organized crime language. The mabos. You know? Yeah, the mabos, the goon, goon, goonies, mabos. the goon boys. Um, <laughs> mabos. Mabos. <laughs> mabos. Um, you know, and I'm, I, I don't have, like, it can be any kind of racket. I mean, human trafficking makes sense. Makes sense. That's like... Human trafficking is pretty on the nose, but um, definitely thinking Joel Edgerton and Steve Buscemi, those guys, like, the warehouse is teeming with those types of goons. Um, 
Anyway, they run off and they are now the new uh, untraditional uh, family structure that is running across the country. And, uh, you know, they're, they're doing some scams. They're doing some goofs and gaffs along the country. And it turns out they really work well together. Um, so uh, they're, they're exchanging stories. And uh, it looks like, you know what? You don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anywhere to go. Let's go. Let's go to New York, uh, and we're gonna find the fucks that uh, that put me in child protective services when I was a kid, and we're gonna just rain fucking fire on them. And they're just gonna be busting doors, shooting everybody. There's gonna be like like bayonets. There's gonna be like new weapons, like the new, whatever the new weapons that the cops are making right now, there's like a cool street version of them. Um, and there's just, it's, it's, uh, just mops of curly red hair trailing rivers of blood. Um, that's Curly Sue. 2030. When I, when I watched Curly Sue, uh, and I saw that kid, uh, with her adorable smile, and her big giant eyes. I thought that's really she's really has the heart of a killer. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is somebody who this I is a real sociopath, gonna... a real sicko. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think your pitch really captures that well. Yeah. Really sue for our times. <laughs> I, I actually have a confession to make. I don't know. I mean, I know of Curly Sue. What is the premise of Curly Sue? The original premise. Um, it's like Paper Moon and like like the the Chaplin movies. It's very much like a two 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 drifters. We think that they're father and daughter, but they're uh, but it's actually uh, a nice dude who knew the girl's mom, and she died, and he just sort of he just kind of was promised to take care of the kid, and ever since he's just been keeping her out of trouble and keeping her fed, and. Uh, and uh, they were scamming some people out in the streets of Chicago when uh, Frosty Ice Queen woman lawyer with lapels too big for her blazer uh, accidentally hits them, uh, hits the dad with her car. And that creates uh, a whole series of events where um, she kind of lets them in, tries to feed them. Uh, her boyfriend, who's like an extra hoity-toity, you know, white white shoe person, um, is extra evil a bunch. Um, and, uh, you know, they, uh, the classic thing where they fall in love, but it's like Kelly Lynch and Jim Belushi don't really have any chemistry. So it's just kind of like, kind of a neutered love and attraction. Sorry. I'll say this. Yeah. I think it's the, it's, and you take this as however you want. I think it's the best Jim Belushi performance I've ever seen. Yeah, the best Jim Belushi performance. He got down. He got John Hughes got the best of Jim Belushi. So he wrote that out, and that sponge was dry. (laughs) Better than Red Heat. Oh, so okay, I haven't seen Red Heat. So when was Red Heat? Uh, That was the Schwarzenegger was the Kremlin cop, and he and Jim Belushi was the street cop. Oh wow, he does okay. You know, I mean it. Cop yeah. versus cop, but movie. if one of them's Russian, obviously we're the good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Only... it's easy. That's very easy <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah, it's really hard to find an adversary for American cops. Uh, yeah. well, no, but, no, uh, yeah, uh, the Russians scary. are the good guys. It's the evil, swarthy it's the drug dealers. Jackie they Chan, Chris Tucker. It's, oh. it's rush hour, except that's right. The hierarchy Chan, of swarthiness. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> as a Russian cop. Oh, yeah. 
And I love in the opening, a guy was smuggling cocaine by putting it in his false leg, but he just pours it in the false leg. He doesn't put it in bags or anything. So <laughs> weird. Yeah. Anyways, it's funny what we remember. Way to share my Curly Sue anecdote. Um, so when I, when Excellent. I first moved to Los Angeles, right. uh, my girlfriend at the time, she had a friend who uh, wanted to become a filmmaker. Uh, he was one of those those guys who uh, had a lot of money, uh, so he got to basically do whatever he wanted. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to start a bluegrass band. He started a bluegrass band for like six months until he got bored. His latest thing is he wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, and he was making this film and he needed someone to play a cop. And uh, I was asked to play the part. So myself and this other guy were playing two cops and we're supposed to bust into this apartment and arrest this woman and haul her away. Um, and we're outside the door waiting for the scene to start. And uh, the other cop turns to me, he's like, hey, you know the girl we're, we're supposed to arrest? I was like, yeah, I think she's Curly Sue. And then action. And so we bust in and we do the same. We like haul her out. And then as soon as the, the director guy calls cut, the guy goes, are you Curly Sue? And the girl gets very embarrassed and is like, yeah, I, I was Curly Sue. So I'm in a short film with uh, Allison Porter, who played Curly Sue. That was a... Uh... And then she started, and then she just involuntarily started uh, singing the, the, the God Save America or whatever <laughs> it is. Whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. <laughs> when somebody loves you. <laughs> Too cute. Yeah, I, I do recommend seeing Curly Sue. It is a very interesting, like, last movie for John Hughes to have directed. And uh, it is really interesting. And, and uh, yeah, Porter is fucking amazing. She is... She's truly, like, a special effect. Yeah. Like, in the way you'd have, like, in a Marvel movie, like, you'd have, like, you know... Uh, Groot or something. <laughs> Groot, right. Like, Curly Sue is so cute. That you like him, it sounds like. What's that? Rocket Raccoon, very streetwise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she is basically Rocket Raccoon. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, she's a, she's got a, she's got a smart mouth. She she's got tricks, but you know she also doesn't know how to read though. So oh, yeah. so that gives you know that gives uh, Kim uh, uh, Kelly Lynch's character a reason moral to fall ground. in love <laughs> with the moral high ground. <laughs> so wait, Jim Belushi takes care of her, but doesn't teacher to read like like she is very good at language but can't read it yeah um uh, but she can say it and interpret it very well but right. and she can like yeah but she just couldn't actually read which was weird honestly <laughs> uh it seemed like maybe she would be able to read I don't know. Uh, okay. It seemed like it, but then it was very clear that yeah. she couldn't. So, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, I guess when they said that they came from Florida, it started to make more sense. Right. Yeah, but anyways, the classic thing where, like, after a bunch of, like, mishaps, uh, you know, she finally learns their real story and falls in love. Um, because, you know, you can have sympathy for the homeless. Once you know their full life story and you have made sure that you like all of it, and that you personally are okay with it. And they, they show exemplary skills. skills. Right. And don't ask you for the money that you owe them right. for hitting you. <laughs> with their car, yeah. Yeah. It's a wild movie. Highly recommend. <laughs> So bloody curly Sue. Yeah, bloody curly Sue. Because now our our look, of our our feelings about the homeless are so heightened and so paranoid 
that the yeah. next possible way to heighten the comedy of these unhoused people is if it's literally the revenge fantasy that they all think is going to happen to them. You know, so when when finally the gates have been breached and all of the unwashed finally drink from their fucking sprinklers for their like three acre lawn, like that's the kind of vibe that I think Tarantino would would set. Capture, yeah. yeah. Well, I hate to say it, it's rough now. Just just wait till we get the Olympics. I'm sure. Yeah, that's oh, kind of why I said it in 2030. <laughs> <laughs> well, also 2030. I'm sure Florida will have stopped teaching reading because you know it's it's very problematic the things people can read when they know how. Reading is dangerous. Yeah, I mean you just can't let anybody read. That's I mean yeah I mean we're literally back. Yeah. <laughs> we're right back where we started. It's re- it's Reconstruction, baby. Um. Yeah, this is a read socialist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you know, uh, just uh, you know, www.dsa.org. <laughs> while we can still type. Yeah, exactly. Right. While we can, while we're still allowed on the internet, it's a good time. <laughs> well. Tough act to follow, but if anyone can follow it, I'm going to think Jeffrey can. With Jeffrey, give us your John Hughes reboot. Absolutely. All right. I agree that is a tough act to follow. Um, but uh, I will do my best. So I, I feel like uh, John Hughes was really uh, plugged into the youth of his time. So I feel like any story, uh, any John Hughes reboot really needs to be grounded in uh, youth trends uh, in, in, you know, in uh, youth uh, ideology. Um, so that's why uh, I'm pitching uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Offline. <laughs> and it's Ferris Bueller spelled F3RR1S underscore BU3LL3R. So it is very clearly a screen name. Trend number one, we got screen names in there. All right, great. So, it's the future. Kids love their screen names. Kids love screen names. Kids are on Roblox. They got screens. They're not using their real name on Roblox. They're using made-up names. Angel XX Fire 1257 because there were already several other Angel XX. So, you need to be you need to be different. You need to stand out. It's all about individuality <laughs> for these Roblox kids. All right. So, uh Ferris Bueller's Day Offline. We are in the future. We all live in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse 24-7. We are all those horrible legless avatars all the time. Ferris Bueller, I uh, remember that is with an underscore and with several uh, numbers, uh, he goes to DigiSchool like most kids do, um, but it's so boring. Oh, DigiSchool is the worst. By the way, Principal Algorithm hates Ferris Bueller, hates everything Ferris Bueller said. Ferris Bueller is a cool kid. Ferris Bueller is fun. Principal Algorithm is a is mean. He is by the book. And he is played by Don Cheadle. Yes, Don Cheadle loves playing characters named Algorithm. He's not playing an algorithm. He's just named Principal Algorithm. In the future, Algorithm is just a popular surname. But the point is, Don, <laughs> if there's going to be a character... With algorithm in the name, Don Cheadle has to play him. Okay, great. So uh, so we've got this cool kid, rival principal, uh, who does not like him. So uh, Ferris and his two friends, Patch and Mega Drive, 
decide to ditch a digit school by going offline. And how do you go offline? Well, you have to take off your state-mandated Oculus helmet, <laughs> uh, which they do. You're not supposed to do that, but uh, they decide to do it. Uh, oh, and they wake up in goo chambers. Um, yeah, they're all in, like, goo tubes uh, with their helmets were formally attached. So the helmet, like, like lifts up, and they're in these goo tubes, but they manage to, uh, to swim out and break free by uh, kicking open the glass. And they escape into post-apocalyptic America for goofs and gaffs. Okay, what's some of the trouble that uh, Ferris and friends get into? Well, uh, they steal a hover bike from a mutant biker gang, uh, which they ride around, uh, which they ride around, and the mutant bikers uh, chase them uh, through the desert to escapes. But then, uh, but then they all, uh, but then uh, Ferris and the gang jump over a cool cliff on their hover bikes, and uh, the biker gangs can't do that, and they wave their fists at them. Uh, let's see, what else do they do? They dump toxic waste uh, onto a cult of animated skeletons. Whoa. Yeah, skeletons have come to life uh, thanks to toxic waste. But if you dump more toxic waste on them, it's like too much. And so, uh, and so they like are drowning in their own uh, toxic fluids. Um, the kids go to an arcade where murder <laughs> is legal. And so uh, they're just murdering other kids. Uh, they're having a real good time. Uh, they dine and dash at a fancy restaurant for high-end robots who don't even need to eat. They're just wasting this beautiful food. They're just there to be seen by the other robots. They're just there to be seen by other elite robots. Um, principal algorithm is chasing them around the Outer Lands, but is eventually killed by crows. Uh, so he does not uh, capture uh, Ferris and his friends. Um, but they do realize uh, that they have to race home and put on their helmets before their alien parental units catch them. Because you see, all of humanity, kids included, serve aliens by having their brain electricity harnessed for spaceship fuel. Uh, and so uh, they get home just in time. Uh, put their helmets on just in time before uh, the aliens catch them. And the year is 2024. And that is Ferris Bueller's Day Offline. I love it. Also, an official nice. sequel to Spielberg's... <laughs> AI, I love it. That's right, and yeah. uh, and um, uh, Ready Player One. Oh, so this is just a twist. And the Matrix, it's everything. You can put anything on this. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like the Juice Bigelow, we're giving the people what they want. Like that's my goal. Juice Bigelow verse. That's my. Is goal Juice Bigelow in this? You better want. be. We've been fed so much slop. <laughs> uh, Deuce Bigelow is definitely in it. He, uh, Deuce Bigelow is one of the mutants from the biker gang. Yep, I was going to say he's in the bar. He yeah. has 14 arms, which he uses to pleasure different clients. So he's very efficient Ooh. at pleasuring wow. uh, futuristic wow. women. Yes, that's right. So Logically, I'm guessing Rob Schneider is also just sort of a mutato on Adam Sandler's back. Mm. Yes, of course. Uh yeah, it's like the two of them are like fused together, but he grows like small. He gets like smaller and smaller with like every scene, and yeah. and slow. And by the end of the the biker scenes, like he's like Adam Sandler, who is just Adam Sandler. He's just like slight. He hasn't really mutated that much. Uh, he just like absorbs Rob Schneider like into his back. Um, That's like giving me flashbacks he... to Malignant. Like, I... yeah, it's this, he's done the least possible work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I also think John Hughes would be very inspired by Malignant as well. So I feel like I'm honoring uh, his life. Oh my God, I just watched way. that too. So that's 
now back in my brain. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> now conflated with Deuce Bigelow. So. Oh my god, I'm gonna have so many nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But okay, important though. Who mm-hmm. is playing new Ferris Bueller and you Umlaut Ferris yes. Bueller? New Ferris Bueller is played by uh, old Ferris Bueller. Um, it's just it's a, just Matthew Broderick it's Ma- it's with young a smooth Matthew, face. It's, face, it's, smooth it's face. old Matthew Broderick, but with a smooth fa- with a smooth face of his young face, like they did with uh, with Luke but Skywalker. still Matthew Broderick. So like, you, so you can't or Matthew if you Broderick. Watch... He's a oh tra- national treasure. Matthew you Broderick. You could also have is... Tom Holland like <laughs> doing his like that one accent he does when he does like an American accent, like just. Gee whiz! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, geez, Mr. Bueller. It's yeah. Tom Holland's body, but Matthew Broderick's smooth, That's young, digital face. <laughs> well, if they do, we're going to accept that, like, smooth Chris Bueller still has a little trouble getting upstairs, you know? Or we walk. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't think anyone uh, wants to play him. I think you're right. No. Lock him in. <laughs> You know, I'm sure a couple of days of green screen. We just need the image of him to recreate on a hard drive. We just, yeah. I mean, they're already doing it. Every Hollywood, again, the Space yeah. Jam Two is tells us. You know, every Hollywood actor has been digitized and is just being turned into a digital puppet. So we will never need actors again. We can just have the the real actors, but digit but digitized as effects. So, uh, yeah. So so that's good. That's good. Yeah, It'll yeah. Save the studios a lot of money. Yeah, yeah that's I'm worried about. You know, I just want to make sure that their bottom lines are okay. Yeah, you and that's uh, and Skywalker and Boba Fett completely realistic. You know, I mean, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> tell. <laughs> okay. Oh man, I, I I did not think this through because having Jeffrey Golden go well, next Tyler means I have to follow Jeffrey Golden, which is not he can never go. never a good thing. But I will try. Tyler, you know, are you there? I do. Oh, cool. I am. Okay, okay go for not, it. It's not technically a John Hughes-directed written movie, but he did produce this movie. We'll um, take any Hughes connection. Okay, I think I would really like to see a reboot of Flubber, starring Jack Black as a scientist and Kevin Hart as Flubber uh, in a non-speaking role. Uh, also, no mocap. It's just literally him painted uh, <laughs> painted green and using old Hollywood. Um, Old Hollywood miniature, um, uh, like um, perspective camera uh, uh, effects, and um, against you know basically uh, Jack Jack Black creates Flubber in a flying car, and the villain uh, Milan Musk, uh, Musk uh, played by uh, Bill Hader, right. needs Great. needs to uh, needs to grab all the plans for both uh, for himself and to and to shut up uh, Jack Black. Uh, forever and uh where he sends in his goons uh kyle gas and for some reason he came up to my head uh thomas thomas middleditch i don't know why i just, i love that guy's name and i love him but i want him and kyle gas to be the goons uh going up against flubber uh many many, many green kevin hart and uh and yeah them, them escaping and trying to get the science kevin out, hart out there into the world says and uh i can see the poster now yeah, I do like that. 
Yeah. Do, do so. Okay. When I think of Flubber, I think of the scene where the the thing where uh, they put Flubber on the shoes and then they can yeah, bounce really high. Yeah. If that oh, yeah. so, if that happens here, is Jack Black like crushing Kevin Hart like every time he like his shoes like step down on the Flubber? You know what it is. This is uh this is a period piece. What he does is he gives uh he gives Flubber uh he puts it on gloves instead and he gives it to the rock. Where so the rock uh, is punching other wrestlers in the ring with Kevin Hart since they're best friends. And I think the the rock would, would like to punch uh Kevin Hart in any situation on film. I mean, so uh I mean if you like two- if you've got the rock, Kevin Hart, and Jack Black in lead roles and it's got uh, and it's got a known IP with Flubber. I feel like this is a big hit at the buy. I feel like it's this, a license this to print guaranteed box office sensation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, that that that's my uh, yeah Flubber. Flubber. I mean, yeah. flubbing it. Oh, and, and and Kevin Hart has to have like this huge uh, music uh, like music number of him playing like a hundred like just him doing it a hundred times. I just want to see him. Dancing like over a hundred times, the same dance just over and over and over again, in different like parts of this uh, of the set, and just exhausting like, himself out. Like it's do the flubber. Well, you know, like in the movie, there's like a huge, a huge musical number where it's like where he's like playing the drums on his like half. I want Kevin Hart. I mean, when they do like multiple things for like a character and as like, a real actor, they have to do it multiple times. And I couldn't think of anything more excruciating and hilarious for The Rock to watch uh, his uh, Kevin Hart basically dancing for uh, for hours and hours and hours on end. So and, do you uh, hate Kevin Hart or Katie The Rock? Because you hate one of them. <laughs> the, no. I feel like everybody loves the the it's like the uh it's kind of like the uh the Hugh Jackman and uh Ryan Reynolds like you like that you everybody loves seeing the rock and Kevin Hart make fun of each other and the rock winning because you know everybody loves the rock and so Kevin Hart is like he's he's just the easy one so like that's the whole behind the scenes stuff everyone's like oh yeah oh yeah like every day the rock showed up for the dance number to watch Kevin Hart basically like you know wheeze and try to do this stuff. I mean, it's more for like the marketing thing and like for the press junket stuff. Cause they always go, I don't know if you've ever seen oh, any of the, the press junket stuff of Kevin Hart and the rock, but like all they do is just like tease each other and Kevin Hart usually loses. You know, and, or am I the only, am I, am I the only nerd? Seen those, yeah, yeah. Uh, press junket, the movie, press junket, oh. the movie, <laughs> just do a movie about a press, junk, a lawn. Yeah. You know what? Junket. It's not, it's not even a real Flubber movie. It is literally just like the idea of what yeah. this movie will be, and it's just a press junket. Uh, just it looks like a behind-the-scenes DVD featurette. I like it of, of what he of what he potentially would be would have been doing. Yeah, I do love of the just, idea of, just, of a press of junket how- runaway. Like it's it's, but I would want it to be a rom com. It's basically the it's basically <laughs> the fanfic of Zendaya and and Tom Holland together in their interviews. Yeah. How they're so perfect uh, and because they're actually dating and they're they're have chemistry, together. you know. 
But like, yeah, on? they're doing a thing and they're so tired and they're yeah. run dry and they just want to go on a like on a vacation. Mm -hmm. So they like run off <laughs> and they're just running I, I around actually, Paris, I... avoiding the, the press. I love it. Yeah. And the producer, a... the angry producer. producer who's the, yeah, the handler them, who's right? trying to, yeah, the publicist. <laughs> just trying to get them back to the, to the press junket. Yeah. press. I, I, I have a counter one. I would rather see Elijah, a rom-com of Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe in a press junket together. Whoa. falling in love that is very <laughs> strong energy to get like they are yeah. very cute together and, yeah and just and just and I just call it loving me <laughs> loving me <laughs> awesome awesome okay so we've had flubber we've had so many so many good ones only one more to go i i hope i can i hope i can bring this home uh because i'm going back very early to John Hughes's, I believe, second screen credit ever. Uh, I think he was one of the people who did National Lampoon's Vacation, but yeah. his first solo screen credit was Mr. Mom. A lovely movie, but a movie of its time. I mean, it did have Michael Keaton and Terry Garr. Excellent cast. But uh, it doesn't really speak to the moment now. So let's update. Let's reboot. And now I like to pitch Ms. Mom about a lesbian power couple that has their life upended when the breadwinner loses her job and has to adapt to life as a homemaker in suburbia. So we'll meet our couple in Act 1, Lexi and Alice. They kind of have it all. Lexi's this tech whiz whose latest networking site, you know, it might get gobbled up by Google, a.k.a. Alphabet, Facebook, a.k.a. Metaverse, maybe even TikTok, a.k.a. China. She's making a ton of money. Alice has a lovely time raising their adopted kids, Artemis 8 and Miles 14. They've got a great rent-controlled apartment in the hip neighborhood. Uh, Alice has this lovely side hustle as a kid's book blogger. She gets tons of free books, pretty much no money. But that's okay, because Lexi's raking in the dough. And they've started to accept that like Lexi is usually working the late nights, and she's basically become kind of absent from her family's life. Then, of course, it all falls apart. Her site has a huge data breach. It becomes a joke. Lexi's getting memed to death. And not to mention their fancy apartment is going co-op right when they have neither the money nor the credit to pay for it. Alice floats the idea of like using her connections and publishing to get a job, which Lexi's like, oh yeah, that's great. That's cute. That can be our plan B. But of course, I'm going to find another job. I mean, I built this site that was about to rake in millions. Of course, somebody's going to, except nobody will. There's nothing Lexi can do that they can't get an unpaid intern to do. Plus, Lexi's like 34. She's not even a millionaire, and that's like 60 in, in tech sector years. But weirdly, Alice, because she's got this background, she gets a nice job at this textbook company, and they're about to launch a YA division. She thinks they might have a place to stay because uh, in the suburbs, her grumpy dad, Frank, lives in a big house and has offered to let them move in. Lexi hates this idea, especially because Lexi doesn't have a job. She'll be stuck home raising the kids. She'll be a housewife, everything she hated and rebelled against growing up. But, you know, they look at a couple of apartments in their price range, and there's, you know, some have sinkholes, some have feral possums, some of that, like, weird roommate with an antique doll collection. And basically, they come around to the idea that, like, yeah, we got to move in with Frank. So act two is uh, Lexi settling into life of domesticity with Alice's dad, Frank. Now, Frank accepts his lesbian daughter, but he kind of expects to constantly be praised and above criticism 
because he accepts his lesbian daughter. And Lexi thinks that's just a pile of crap. And not to mention, she finds out Frank let their housekeeper go, since, of course, now Lexi can take care of all of that. Which is just gross, because it's not like anyone's paying Frank to sit around all day watching the History Channel. So Lexi's dealing with that. She's also dealing with adapting to a suburban public school. Before this, their kids went to a very progressive charter, and now they're stuck in this school where people's history of the United States is not the approved history textbook. She also finds that there's this little subculture of the full-time homemakers, which has kind of become this rarity in the land of two-income households. She bonds with the other stay-home parents over wine and frustrated ambition and the basic lack of respect they get. Meanwhile, Alice is working her new job trying to launch this book line, and it's kind of a nightmare. These are a textbook publisher, so they don't know that you have to, like, court the hot young authors or have a promotional budget or, heck, maybe even have a Twitter account. They're basically expecting her to, like, deliver a filet mignon for the price of a 99-cent hamburger. Uh, meanwhile, Lexi's getting into hot water uh, because during Women's History Month, their daughter Artemis wants to dress up as pioneering journalist and Eleanor Roosevelt's sex partner, Lorena Hickok. And it goes from bad to worse when Artemis, being uh, progressively educated, points out that Susan B. Anthony, while a suffragette, was also racist as hell. Now, this really upsets the mom of the girl playing Susan B. Anthony. I don't know, backing up, what they do for Women's History Month is they have the kids come in dressed up as various feminist icons. Uh, Artemis wants to do Lorena Hickok. She tells Susan B. Anthony that the person she's playing is crazy racist. And this upsets Susan B. Anthony's mom, professional concerned parent, Tiffany Farron. Uh, also going on is, is Miles joins public school and he wants to join the date rapiest of all sports, lacrosse. Uh, Lexi's a little upset, but she accepts it. What she doesn't know is Miles has just joined the team because he has a crush on the team captain, golden boy Connor Farron, who is, of course, Karen's boy, Karen's son. Oh, sorry, Tiffany's son. They call Tiffany Karen Farron, but not to her face. Anyway, Tiffany, after this kerfuffle, she, she starts this campaign for more parental oversight, and she's going to run for the school board, and she's incredibly unpleasant, so no one wants to run up against her, so it's up to Lexi to run for the school board on a campaign of keeping reality in our schools. So Lexi's running for school board. Alice is trying to woo this hot YA author. There's a lot of late nights working. It's starting to strain their relationship. And you sense Lexi is slowly slipping back into the old habit of neglecting her family to focus on her next big thing. What this means is Frank reluctantly has to pick up the slack watching the kids. And weirdly, he discovers he enjoys being the den father to his grandkids and all the friends, because, you know, he's home. He Their house kind of becomes the one house that all the kids hang out at after school. He gets closer to Miles, and Miles confesses to Frank he's seen Connor on the down low, and he's very afraid to tell his moms. Not because of the gay thing, of course, but because Lexi and Tiffany really hate each other. So we're getting up the night before the election. Frank helps Miles and Connor come clean to their respective parents. Lexi realizes that this campaign is tearing her family apart, and proposes that her name be dropped from the ballot for the school board election. However, Tiffany has this very loud, very public, very ugly meltdown, discovering that her son is gay. The school board votes unanimously to keep Lexi on the ballot. Lexi wins in a landslide because everyone can now see that Tiffany is crazy. Anyways, as this is, as this is winding down, 
Uh, Alice over here is Connor. Comment how weird it is that like his family and Miles' family were like these mortal enemies and stuff. And you know, it was just like this musical they once saw in English class. Alice realizes that there's a ton of kids out there who don't know anything about Shakespeare. And she saves her job by proposing a new line of graphic novels of the Shakespeare plays illustrated by all, all these hot artists she knows personally from her day as a book blogger. So we end, they've, they've sort of carved out their own little niche in suburbia. Lexi's on the school board, she's keep, but she's keeping a healthy work-life balance, thanks in large part to Frank, who is finally pulling his weight at home. And Alice's job is now secure because she's got this new book line, meaning she gets to come home and have dinner with the family. So that's my update. Miss Mom, Ms. Mom, sorry, the end. Yay. Yay. That was just great. Like, mm -hmm. I just want like, to watch that. Yeah, I mean, I would not be the person to write this movie, did it exist, but man, I would love to watch this I'll movie. I'll never think yeah. of across the same way again. I would even age up the lead if Tignataro was free. Ooh. Oh, that's one of it. That would make a lot of sense. I like that casting. Yeah, uh, maybe Aubrey Plaza, but yeah, definitely the lead has Tignataro energy. I hope. Yeah, I like All that. Right. And that's our John Hughes. Before we go, though, tell everybody where who you are and where we can find you. Cool. Oh, uh, sure. I'll, I'm uh, okay. I'm Jeffrey Golden. Uh, I am a narrative designer and game creator. Uh, I've done stuff for Capcom, Ubisoft, Square Enix, and indie studios around the world. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Golden. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, like the giraffe, G-O-L-V-E-N, like the color. Um, and I have a newsletter called Adventure Snack. Um, it's a free newsletter where uh, twice a month I send you uh, choose-your-own-path uh, adventure games uh, through email. So uh, you can do everything from be the president's cat uh, to uh, change time and space by choosing a different sandwich for your lunch order, um, you know, exercise the ghosts from your haunted Airbnb. Um, every month there's a new uh, fun adventure to play, and that's at uh, adventuresnack.com. Nice. Stephanie, how about you? Where can we find you? Oh, I am terminally online. Um, I'm usually found on Twitter uh, when I'm definitely not supposed to be writing instead. Um, I am Hell yeah. at HelloCookie. Uh, that's pretty much my username across the board. Uh, so you can mostly find me there if you want to say hello. My website is stephaniecook.ca. You can find all the things there. Uh, I have a sequel to our book, Oh My God's, coming out in April. Uh, you can find out more about the first book and the sequel coming at ohmygods.org. Um, what else? What else? I don't know. I'm on Twitter a lot. Just come say hi to me there. <laughs> awesome. Amanda. Rad. Um, so uh, you can uh, find me mostly uh, hunched over my, my monitor <laughs> at home. But um, yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Amandonium. It's my first name, but with an onium. And uh, I am the uh, senior editor at Oni Press and Limerence Press. I edit uh, goofy graphic novels of various ages, as well as uh, queer sexual wellness erotica and romance comics at Limerence Press. Um, oh, lovely. Yeah, and uh, the, ooh, ooh, yes, the newest is uh, A Quick and Easy Guide to Asexuality, which I'm very excited about. That comes out at the end of March. Um, you still have time to pre-order. Uh, very, very, very much 
uh, a load-bearing guide in our Quick and Easy Guide series. It's a, a very missing piece of the sexuality conversation, and I'm excited for these young folks uh, to pick up and uh, and learn some more and maybe discover something about themselves. Um, and uh, you can also pick up um, a French cooking comic that I also edited that is hilarious called To Drink and to Eat. Um, volume three just came out, um, which you can find anywhere books are sold. Uh, but yeah, uh, you can go to onipress.com to buy any of the things that, that we publish. Um, Patton Oswalt recently shot, shouted us out. That was really nice uh, in light of all the comicology <laughs> nonsense. That was fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, an editor is a very, uh, I think of it as an, a more invisible job. And I, I like I like to make moves in silence, as, as Meg the Stallion would say. Nice. Also, Orcs in Space Connection, right? Mm. That's right, baby. Mike, have you plugged... Works in space enough. I was. I just kind of came in assuming that you've talk already about talked it about it every a lot, time I but... can. Can you plug uh, works in space enough? Never stops. Um, <laughs> so this is a tra- never a transition into uh, me. Yeah. Hey, I'm Michael Tanner. I uh, I co-host or host this show depending on how my mic is working. Um, I also a comic book writer. I'm one of the writers on Orcs in Space from Oni Press, edited by Amanda here. It's a hilarious sci-fi comedy. Um, Let's see. Uh, And also, um, I'm working with Stephanie on a thing we're not talking about yet. We'll talk about that sometime soon. Yay! Uh, uh, Since this episode will hit in March, either at the end of March or the beginning beginning of April, look for my Kickstarter for my new uh, book, Battle Grapple Rebel. It's a sci-fi wrestling comic that I'm doing with Don Wen, often a guest of this show. Yeah, that should be either late March, early April on Kickstarter. Yeah. And the, yeah, oh, my website, uh, bymicheltanner.com. That's bymicheltanner.com. Actually, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but would you mind speaking a little bit about the origin of Battle Grapple Rebel? I accidentally muted myself when I meant to speak. Uh, Battle Grapple Rebel, it's, uh, like I said, it's a sci-fi wrestling comic. It's uh, the premise is, what would professional wrestling be like in a kind of Star Wars-y, Star Trek sci-fi universe? Uh, and it started out as originally a pitch done on the show. I think it was actually done for the pilot, which we did not uh, we did not release. Um, someday when we have a Patreon, we'll put it on there, uh, if that file still exists. But yeah, this show leads to great ideas that sometimes come to fruition. So probably sooner in the next few years, we're going to get the Bloody Curly Sue reboot. And, Kevin Hart uh, Someone might take Ms. Mom. That's what I'm holding out And uh, Kevin Hart is Flubber, That's will right. be Flubber. Absolutely. And, uh, oh my God, and we'll finally find out what's going on with uh, Ioni and that weird person tying him up in the back of a car. <laughs> I mean, exes, they're crazy, right? <sighs> Anyways, I have been... Your host, Andy Nordvall. Uh, I do, what do I do? I do, I do comics and this podcast. Uh, you can find all my stuff on andynordvall.com. I got some stuff that maybe I will be able to announce in the next few months. So you're just going to have to keep listening to the podcast, I'm afraid. Uh, mucho thanks to our producer, Tyler, for a lovely surprise topic. And thanks for listening. Check out all our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and any and all of the podcast apps. And hey, while you're online, you can check out our site, The Grand Geek Gathering, all one word, 
com. We got articles. We've got other shows. We've got tons of stuff. Go. I can't even remember. Go check it out yourself. Do your own research. You can stay updated from our Facebook, oh, Twitter, and Instagram. Do your own research. <laughs> our outdoor music is by Carlisle Laurent. So come and join the gathering. Have a great week and GGG. Bird after pitching.